You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks uh, on the parables of Jesus. And we're looking at these powerful stories that Jesus told uh, that are like windows that help us look and see what the kingdom of God is like and to understand it better. And so we're going to look at another parable today that's going to help us. Um, but hold that thought for just a moment. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in this city. I had some pastor friends who came in town for a pastor's meeting. And one of my friends um, had never been to New York City before. So we were driving around. I took him to Times Square because that's where you take tourists. They want to see Times Square, right? And when you think about Times Square, what do you think of? I think about the lights and the signs and the billboards and all the video boards everywhere, like all, all of the advertising. There's probably no other place on earth that is so well known for advertising as Times Square, and one of the things that we see employed on billboards and video boards in Times Square is something in the marketing world called shock value advertising. Have you heard of this before? Shock value advertising, it's about kind of shocking your senses, right, to cut through the clutter of all the messaging to get your attention. So in Times Square, you know, you walk past some video board where there's a naked person advertising clothing. Like, that doesn't make sense. They're supposed to have the clothing on. Why are they naked? But the whole idea is to get your attention, right? Have you seen these kind of things? It's shock value advertising. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a parable that Jesus told that has some shock value in it. Some, some of Jesus' parables, they're, they're meant to show us a, a shocking new truth, a shocking new reality about the kingdom of God, about God and what he's like. And one, well, the parable we're going to look at today is definitely one of those parables. So today... We're going to look at a parable known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. We're going to dive right into it. The parable of the workers in the vineyard from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So the ancient Jewish workday started about 6 o'clock in the morning and ran about to 6 o'clock in the evening. And a denarius was was the standard pay for a day laborer's wages. In fact, a Roman soldier would would be paid a denarius. It was standard pay, but it was good pay for the time, especially with so much poverty and unemployment, a denarius was good wages. Let's keep going. Verse 3. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So he hired people right up until like the last hour of the day, if you're following along here. Now look at this. In in verse 8, it says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. I want you to notice that. Who gets paid first? He says, starting with the Last ones, okay, the last one's hired and going on to the first. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. They each received a day's 
wages, a day's worth of work wages. Verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. How many of you would say, I understand where they're coming from. I feel their pain. That's hard to watch somebody get paid for like one hour's worth of work compared to you busting your butt all day long in the heat working in the vineyard. Now look at the response, verse 13. But he, the landowner, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? The, the original translation that's translated from this phrase is your eye evil because I am generous. Literally, do you have a selfish perspective on, on life? He says, hey, I didn't rip you off. You agreed to work for a denarius. I paid you a denarius. Don't get mad at me. It's my money if I want to be generous with it. And then Jesus said this in verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, this parable doesn't add up, does it? This parable kind of bothers us a little bit. This one bothers you a little bit. It's kind of like, what's the point of this one? This one messes with us some. Like, why would the owner of the vineyard pay everyone the same wages, right? Like, pay someone who, who had just worked a little bit the same as somebody who had worked for a full day. It doesn't seem fair, this is not the way I would do things if I was the owner of the vineyard. I would have called everybody at the end of the day and I said, bring me your time card. Let me see how many hours you work. The foreman's going to pay you for your hours. And maybe if you hustled and worked really hard, I might do something nice for you, like take you out and buy you an ice cream or something. But I wouldn't do what this guy did. I mean, if I would have been there that, that day, I would have been like, hey, Jesus, come on. We got to talk for a minute. All right, Jesus, come here. That's a nice story, Jesus. But we all know that's not how things work in the real world, Jesus. Like Jesus, come, especially here and now, right? Jesus, this is New York. This is the city that never sleeps. People moved here from all over the world to take really good jobs, and they work hard and long hours, and they expect to get ahead. Nobody should be getting paid the same, all right, Jesus? It doesn't work that way in New York. Can I get an amen, somebody? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And if we're honest, this parable, really, it doesn't make any economic sense to us. Like, who in their right mind would pay the, you know, the same for one hour's work as for a full day's worth of work. How many of you would like to adopt this compensation model for your company? Anybody? How many of you would like to go in and see your, your manager, your boss on Tuesday and say, hey, I have an idea for you that's going to boost morale in the company. Here's an idea I've got. Okay? I don't think any of us, right? Like this doesn't sit right with us. This parable messes with us a little bit. And, and that's the problem. You and me, we live in the real world. We live in the real world, and we know how it's supposed to work, and it goes something like this. Let me read you a few quotes. You work for what you get. Nothing in life comes free. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. He who finishes first wins. And if you had a dad like me who used to quote, quote scripture to me from 2 Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. How many of you had parents who said stuff like that? I can picture myself working with my dad, cutting grass. If you, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's what scripture says. And he's right. It's actually in there. It's in the scripture. Now, here's the reality. We naturally identify more with the workers who grumbled and complained 
than we do with the landowner in this parable. How many of you would just admit? You naturally agree. You understand where they're coming from. Is anybody with me today? Anybody going to help me preach today? Like, I, I naturally identify with them more than the landowner. Like, if we were the workers, we would, we would organize and go on strike. Come on, we would have like collective bargaining. We would, we would make a union. We'd say, no, we're going on strike. We expect decent and fair pay for all the hours that we work. And on top of that, we expect health care, a 401k, paid vacation, paid sick leave. Come on, we would organize. <laughs> we're not putting up with this. I think we identify with the laborers. We get this. But here's the revelation for you. Let me pull the rug out from under your feet, okay? The grumblers, the complainers who we resonate with and we get where they're coming from, some of the commentators tell me that they likely represent the religious leaders who had a problem with Jesus and the way he lavished his grace on everybody. And the landowner, it's not hard to figure out, represents God. The landowner who seems unfair to us represents God. Now, back to our moment of honesty here, we, we get where the grumblers are coming from because Jesus' parable, it doesn't really make economic sense, does it? It's not good business. It doesn't add up. It's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up, and that's actually the point. It's not meant to add up. The parable is designed to show us a shocking truth about God, that God doesn't bless or reward people according to what they deserve. No, instead, he bestows grace upon us freely as a gift, no matter how good we think we are, no matter what we think we've done to, to deserve it. It has nothing to do with deserving it. This parable doesn't add up because grace doesn't add up. This parable doesn't make sense in the real world that we live because the kingdom of God is not like this fallen world. And God doesn't do things the way we do things. And that's actually a good thing. And I think that's why we actually struggle to receive grace at times and give it to others because here's the idea. God's grace doesn't add up because it goes against every natural tendency that we have to earn what we get. That's why it doesn't add up for us. That's why this parable hits us in a different way today. God's grace doesn't add up because it goes against every natural tendency that we have in this real world to earn what we get, to earn people's love and affection, to earn approval and status and acceptance and, and wealth because we're so used to earning everything, right? We live in this real world. We live in the graceless world where we have to earn everything. Nothing in life comes free. We know this, don't we? We know this is how business works. We know that this, that's how the economy of this world works. All of those phrases I said before, the early bird gets the worm, right? We, we know all of those things. But here's the point. God isn't like us. God doesn't do things the way we do things. He's unlike anyone you've ever met before. In fact, one theologian put it this way. God's generosity is represented by a man, and clearly that man, Jesus, is different from every other man we've ever encountered. And aren't you thankful? He's not like anyone you've ever met before. God doesn't do things like we do things. Jesus is unlike any other man we've ever met. And so his grace seems scandalous to us. The scandal of grace is that because of God's love for us, we don't get what we deserve. We get so much more. We get so much more. The scandal of grace is that God became poor so that we could become rich. The scandal of grace is that God became human, that we might become divine, that we might become like him. The scandal of grace is that Jesus was broken, that we might be made whole. The scandal of grace is that 
Jesus died in our place so that we could have life and life more abundantly. The scandal of grace is that salvation is a free gift. It comes to us as a free gift, yet it costs God everything. The life of his one and only son. It's a scandalous thing. It's a scandalous thing. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. Instead, he gives me Grace, I'm thankful that grace doesn't add up. Come on, who's with me this morning? I'm thankful that grace doesn't add up. I'm thankful that God didn't give me what I deserved. He did better than that. He gave me grace. And so I want to take the next few months to talk to you about why grace doesn't add up. And let's just be humble as we read this parable, okay? Because I think if we're all honest, we all know who we identified with in the parable. And I know we sing about grace and I know we've amen the sermons about grace. And I know we say we believe in, in, in grace. But I think this parable is going to prove that maybe we don't have as much grace in our hearts as we think we have. Maybe we have room to get a, a greater revelation, all right? So let's be humble. Let's be open. A few thoughts about how God's grace doesn't add up. How naturally to us as human beings in this fallen world, grace doesn't add up. And put these in your notes today. Number one, God's grace doesn't add up because it's given according to his sovereignty. Everybody say Sovereignty. God's grace that's given according to his sovereignty. Now, what does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty simply means that God is in charge of the universe and you and me are not. We want to be in charge of the universe, don't we? We certainly want to be in charge of our little universe, but God is in charge of the universe. Why don't we just let the creator of the world be in charge of the world? He's sovereign, and he gives out grace according to his sovereign will, his sovereign plan, even when we don't understand it. And because he's in charge, he says this in verse 16. So the last will be first. Jesus said this, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, how many of you remember... When you were a kid, uh, playing on the playground or maybe playing on the street, if you grew up like me, playing ball on the street, we were always playing football, basketball. How many of you remember when they were picking teams, you never wanted to be picked last? You know what I'm talking about? Like that was like one of the worst insults to be picked last. I remember my little brother who was like four years younger than me. Every now and then he would get picked last because he was my little brother, right? Like, man, you wanted to get picked first. You wanted people to want you on their team. You don't want to be like the last resort, right? You wouldn't get picked last. And here's what Jesus is showing us. In God's way of doing things, those who are often last in life, those who are often at the back of the line get moved to the front of the line. Come on, he, he's the God who doesn't do things the way we do things. It's an upside-down kingdom. God cares about the people at the back of the line, the marginalized, the poor, the forgotten. Often in his economy, in his kingdom, the last are, are first. That's what we see all throughout Scripture. That's what we see all throughout Scripture. That's the way God does things. Now, who gets paid first in this story is crucial. Remember, I told you to pay attention to this detail in the story. Because it's only because the, the last ones to be hired receive a full day's wages that the first ones to be hired had a problem. Did you track with that? I mean, if he had paid the, the guys who had worked all day first and, and they never saw what the other guys got paid, there wouldn't have been any complaining. The problem is he paid the ones who showed up and only worked for like one hour. He paid them a, a denarius, the same day's wages, as all the guys who had worked all day long. And they saw it. And they had a problem with it, right? They had a problem with it. Here's the point. The landowner doesn't do what the workers expected him to do. They thought, well, if he's going to pay that, certainly he's going to pay us more. 
But here's the point. God doesn't do what we expect him to do. God, in his sovereignty, chooses to, to bless people that this world considers undeserving. God chooses to include in his kingdom what we might call the latecomers, those who show up at the last hour, the most undeserving people. As we look all throughout scripture, God makes room in his kingdom for latecomers. What do we see as we open the gospels and we read about the life of Jesus? Who does Jesus include? Who does Jesus go to? Who does Jesus fellowship? with? What does he do? Who does he give good news to? The poor, the forgotten, the marginalized, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. What does Jesus do? Jesus rescues a woman caught in the very act of adultery who would have been shunned by her community. Jesus goes to a tax collector who would have been hated and despised, and he says, I'm going to your house today to fellowship with you. Jesus sits at the table with sinners. Jesus allows a sketchy woman to come and anoint his feet. Even on the cross, at the very last minute, he saves a thief. He turns to a thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Talk about a latecomer. Come on. I don't know if you get this, but here's the reality. We're all latecomers. When it comes to uh, how much we don't deserve the grace of God, that we've done nothing to earn salvation, I've got a newsflash for you. We're all latecomers. And aren't you thankful? I wonder if there's anybody in the house today who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I was a latecomer. I was a latecomer, and I'm so thankful that Jesus included me. I'm so thankful that he picked me to be on his team, that he took me from the back of the line, and he put me to the front of the line. And I can say that the last had been made first because I was undeserving. I was broken. I was lost in my sins. But thankfully, he's the God of the latecomers. Church, that's who he is. He's the God of the the latecomers. And so that transforms me when I recognize I'm just a latecomer working in the vineyard. My job job is to be a faithful worker, not a grumbler, not not a complainer. It's so easy to grumble and and complain. No, no. My job is to be like a faithful Chick-fil-A employee. It's my pleasure to serve you, God. I don't have to. I get to. I get to serve. I get to pray. I get to give. I get to serve other people because I'm just a laborer in the vineyard. I'm one of the latecomers, and you included me, God. And it transforms my heart because according to your sovereignty, you, you saw me when I was last in line. And you included me. And so, God, I want to be a grateful worker in, in, your, in your vineyard, in your kingdom. Here's the second thing. Number two, we're talking about the grace of God. We're talking about how really to us, in, in, in our natural way of thinking, it doesn't add up. Number two, God's grace doesn't add up because he dispenses it as a gift, not as wages to be earned. Man, if the parable is showing us anything, it's showing us this, that God's grace comes to us as, as a gift, not as wages to be earned. Look at verse 15. Here's what... Here's what uh, the, the landowner says. This is what the landowner says to, to the grumbling, complaining servants, workers. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? <laughs> like, don't I have a right? Like, are you envious because, because I, I'm generous? Like, I, if I want to give it as a gift, that's, that's my, my choice. Now, we know the principles of this world. We know how this world works, right? In, in the principles of this world, he who works the longest receives the most pay. And that's fair. We get that. He who works the longest, he who works the hardest, he who's most diligent, whoever's most talented, whoever puts in the hours, that's the person who prospers. That's the person who gets ahead. And and that's fair. But in the kingdom of of, of God, the principles of merit and ability, they're all set aside so that the grace of God can prevail as a gift in our lives. You see it? All of those things in the economy of heaven, those things aren't even relevant. Merit, 
talent, ability, hard work, diligence, those things are set aside so that the grace of God can prevail. In fact, the rabbis of Jesus' time told their own version of this parable, and Jesus took it and flipped it on its head. The rabbis of Jesus' time told a a story that was inspired by a rabbi who in 25 years of ministry had accomplished more than almost every other rabbi who came before him. And their version of the parable went this way. A, a, A landowner goes out and hires workers all throughout the day, and then he hires this superstar worker who shows up for the last two hours and outworks everybody and gets rewarded because he works so hard. Now, we understand that, don't we? That, if I had read that, you'd say, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he hustled, he was talented, he worked hard, he grinded, he got ahead, he got blessed. Like, I'm good with that, (laughs) right? But here's the point. Jesus' story is not about how exceptional the workers are. It's about how amazing the landowner is. It's about how amazing God is in giving his grace to us as a gift. That's the point. It's not about the workers at all. It's about our gracious God. Jesus was showing us that God is an extravagantly loving and gracious God. And we need to hear this today again, church, because I think so many of us can have a flawed mindset when it comes to God, the way we see God. I know so many of us were raised with with a mindset and a perspective of God that he was more like a taskmaster than he was a loving heavenly father. And sometimes that creeps back into our mindset. Sometimes that creeps back into our perspective that we find ourselves praying to a taskmaster God that, you know, we can never be good enough and we can never do enough, right? And, and, and our relationship to him can feel like obligation. And some of you grew up in a culture like that, like church was something you had to do and days of holy obligation. And it felt like, you know, you always felt like you were behind the ball, right? Like you always felt behind. And, and if you think about how do you feel many days, how does God see me? Like if you're honest, you would say, I don't think God's really ever happy with me. I think that can become our perspective, but Jesus is showing us something totally different. He shows us a God who accepts us by his grace. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. Let me help you today. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. He loves you just as you are. He accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Come on. His grace gets into your heart and it transforms your life. It's the revelation of his grace that changes you from the inside of God. You love me like that when I least deserved it? God, you poured out your love on me when I did nothing. While I was yet a sinner, Christ, you gave your life for me. And it's the revelation of that that gets in your heart and it changes you from the inside out so that you begin to want to do the things of God. It's not about obligation. Now it's about gratitude. Do you see it? It changes everything when it comes to us as, as a gift. And I think here, here's the thing. What's interesting thing is, the interesting thing is I think most of us who would call ourselves Christians, we would say, we know this truth. We, we know this truth. If I were to ask you on the way in this morning, good morning, it's so good to see you. Do you know you're saved by grace? Amen, pastor, I believe that. Like we sing the songs, we amen the sermons. But yet if we're honest, subconsciously, sometimes I'm not even realizing it, when we're having really good days, Sometimes we kind of feel like we've accumulated a little bit of God's favor in the bank of heaven. I've made some good deposits. I'm on a good streak. Come on. You know, the beginning of the year, we have fasting and prayer, you know? It's really good. I got a Bible. I got a streak going on the Bible app, you know? Seven days in a row. I made some deposits. My account in heaven is really looking good. And it's all going great until you have one of those other days where the devil shows up and tempts you, and you give in to temptation, and you curse somebody out, or you give someone the finger in traffic, or you lose patience on somebody, and then all of a sudden, your account is overdrawn, and it's, overdrawn and it's all blown up, <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, your, your bank account of heaven is just way, you know, it's, it's really in a bad spot. It's drawn. You're in the red. You're in the red. 
And we're laughing about it, but don't we feel that way sometimes? Don't we soar when we have the good days? And don't we get down into the dumps when we have the days where we give in to sin and temptation? And it shows just how much we've, we've received the message of grace here, but we struggle to get it in here in our hearts to live it out. And we, we got to get this. We, we, we got to get this because I really believe if we could get the revelation of this, it would change everything. It would change the way we see God. It would change the way we see ourselves. We wouldn't be up and down. We'd be a lot more even like, God, I can rest in your grace. On my good days, it's by your grace. On my bad days, it's by your grace. When I remember to read my Bible today, it's by your grace. If I remember to pray today, it's by your, if I forgot and I messed up, if I sinned today, either way, God, I'm walking and living and breathing by your, I'm anchored in your grace, God. It's what holds me. I didn't do anything to deserve to be here in the first place. You included me in your family. You included me in your kingdom. I got a seat at the table because of your grace. I did nothing to deserve it. Man, if you can receive it as a gift all over again. It'll change your heart. And you got to keep coming back to that. You got to keep coming back to that. Here's the third thing. We're talking about the grace of God. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up in this world we're living in. It doesn't add up in this real world of ungrace that we live in, but it can change our lives. Number three, God's grace doesn't add up because he gives it to undeserving people. He gives it to undeserving people. Let me show you something. Verse 12. I want you to see what the grumblers, the complainers, the people who we identify with, the workers who we feel their pain when they, are, when they complain about being paid the same amount as these bunch of bums who showed up at the last minute. Look at verse 12. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. These bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings who weren't working all day, hanging out in the public square while we busted our butts for you, while we labored in your vineyard in the heat. You, you made them equal to us. The workers who were hired, they grumble because the latecomers didn't deserve the same pay. And guess what? They're right. They're right. They didn't deserve the same pay. And here's the reality. God gives grace to those who don't deserve it. Grace comes to the undeserving. And let me just tell you, there's only one type of person on planet Earth. There's only one type of human being, undeserving human beings. All of us are undeserving. Grace comes to us as undeserving people. I mean, let's be honest for a moment. Have you ever wondered, come on, let's, let's have just a fun moment in church. Have you ever wondered why God blesses certain people? Oh, come on, let's keep it real. You ever look at certain people's lives like, God, they've already got everything. They got the house. They got the car. They got the great vacations. They got the good looks. Like, why do you keep blessing them? Especially being that I know what they're actually like. I saw a video this week of Tom Brady hitting a hole in one. Like, God, why? The guy's got seven Super Bowl. You gave him seven Super Bowl trophies and Giselle. What more could a guy want in life? And the dude can hit a hole in one. It's not fair, is it sometimes? Come on, turn to somebody and say, it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> God, why do you bless certain people? Why do you do it? We don't get it. And let's be honest. We like when people get what they deserve, don't we? We don't mind when good things happen to good people. And we like when bad things happen to bad people, don't we? Come on, let's not be too spiritual in church. I, I, like, I like when bad things happen to bad people. I'm good with that. I can live with that. 
Bad guy gets busted, something happens to them. I'm cool with that. That's fine. I can live with that. All right, I'm going to give you an analogy that I've used many times over the years, but it always hits home when I give it, okay? I'm going to give you an analogy, analogy to help you know how spiritual you are. So let's say you're out shopping one day in a busy parking lot, okay? And you're going to go get a, a parking spot, a perfect spot up front, right? you got your blinker on. Hello. you got your blinker on. You're about to get in that spot, and some jerk comes in and cuts you off and pulls right into that spot. How many of you have had that happen before? It's New York, right? I know, some of y'all feel like saying a bad word right now, just thinking about it. I had my blinker on, and you pulled in. Now, let's say the Lord were to appear to you in that moment and say, okay, I'm going to give you two options. I can give you a better parking spot, or I can give them a flat tire. Which one are you picking? I'm going with the flat tire every time. God, I'm good. I can walk. I need the exercise. I'll park in the back. I want to see the flat tire. Who's with me? If we're honest, if we're honest, we like bad things happening to bad people and good things happening to good people. And furthermore, the way we see the world, we have a tendency to put people in categories. Here's the categories, deserving and undeserving. The people who treat us well, the people who are nice, the people who we naturally like and we gel with, we tend to, in our minds, we do this, but I haven't realized it. We tend to put them in the, in the deserving category. And then there are those in the undeserving category, the people who, who rub us the, the wrong way, right? Like we tend to see them in, in a different way. They seem so, so undeserving. It's the people that God blesses that we don't understand why they, they're blessed because we know what they're really like. Here's another example. You ever read about somebody uh, placing their faith in Jesus while they're incarcerated? You know, what we call jailhouse religion you know, a murderer or a rapist. And why do we call that jailhouse religion? Right there, it shows you something, right? Oh, that's not real. They're not really changed. They just got jailhouse religion. Now, there, there is some of that is true. Some people aren't really changed. But there's a tendency in us to look at that and say, well, God, you could forgive me of my sins, but could you really forgive someone who did that? Could you really forgive a murderer? Newsflash, you know what the apostle Paul was before he became the apostle Paul? He was a murderer. He was a terrorist. He was persecuting the church. He was locking up Christians. He, he, he stood there and, and held people's cloaks while they stoned Stephen. Now, if God can take a murderer and turn him into the apostle Paul, and he ends up writing half of the New Testament, he can forgive anything. But we would have all put Paul in the category of undeserving. That's how we look at the world. But you know what that shows us? It shows us just how unlike God we are because God doesn't do deserving and undeserving. His grace comes to us as, as a gift. Come on, it just shows us how, how much we think differently than God. God doesn't think that way. Aren't you thankful that God didn't put you in the category of undeserving when you, mm, when we least deserved it? Come on, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love what Phil Yancey says in his best-selling book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He said, grace cannot be reduced to generally accepted accounting principles. In the bottom line realm of ungrace, some workers deserve more than others. In the realm of grace, the word deserve does not even apply. Man, I love that. Somebody needs to snap a picture of that. In the realm of grace, in the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, in the way God does things, the word 
deserve does not even apply. It doesn't even come into the equation. Until we get this revelation that we don't deserve anything that God has done for us, we don't deserve the Son of God giving his life for us, we're all undeserving. We don't deserve his grace. We, we won't be able to fully receive it because we'll still be walking around feeling like maybe we did something to earn it. Let me just tell you, the cure for grumbling the cure for our complaining, the cure for our sense of obligation, the cure for our judgmentalism, the cure for us putting people into the category of deserving and undeserving is to recognize how undeserving we are. We're just latecomers. We're just latecomers who got invited. Who got invited to labor in his vineyard to be a part of his, his, his kingdom. That's all, that's all we are. See, Jesus came to a graceless world. He came to a world where people lie and cheat and steal and put themselves first and they're selfish. He came to a world where CEOs pay themselves millions of dollars and their workers struggle. He came to a world where people step on top of others to get ahead and he showed us something completely new. He showed us grace. He gave his life. He embodied grace and it changes everything. And if we can get a hold of it, church, it'll change our hearts. It'll change our perspective. It'll change the way we see others, the way we see, the way we see God. See what God has done for us in sending his son, Jesus. It doesn't add up. Forgiveness doesn't add up. Grace doesn't add up. But it's a beautiful thing. I don't know about you. I'm so thankful it doesn't add up. I'm so thankful that what God did for me doesn't add up. I'm so thankful that God doesn't do things the way this world does things. I'm so glad that, that God doesn't just include the perfect people the people who have it all together. But he picked you and me to be on his team. He called us from the back of the line. And he said, sometimes the last are going to be first in my kingdom. He called us at the last hour when we least deserved it. And he treated us like everybody else. Even better, he honored us. And it changes our hearts and our lives if we could just get a hold of, of this truth. You see, everyone has to deal with the scandal of grace. Oh, it's scandalous, and so we've got to deal with it because grace will make you or break you. And there's two responses that I see quite often. I meet people who feel like they can never come to church, they can never have a relationship with God because they, they don't deserve it. Like I could never, I, I've met people, I remember flyering the streets, you know, before we opened this church and meeting all kinds of people. And sometimes people joking like, oh, you wouldn't want me to come to your church. Like, you don't know what I've done, Right? Like, I could never be good enough to come to your church. And so, so many people miss out on what God has done for them because of this, this sense, like, I could never be, be good enough. They disqualify themselves. And then there are others on the opposite end, the opposite end, which is actually pride. And there's this sense, well, I'm a really good person. Oh, no, thank you. I appreciate your invitation, but I'm, I don't do organized religion. I'm not into organized religion. I just believe in being a good person. I got a friend who's always posting about being a good person on Facebook. Why do we need, why do we need organized religion? Why do we need faith? Why can't everybody just be a good person? Well, what's your standard of good? What if my standard's different than your standard? What if we all can't agree upon? What does it mean to be a good person? Do you see it? It's really a form of pride. I don't need what Jesus did for me because I'm already a good person in my own works and what I've done for myself. But here's what, what both people on both sides both perspectives miss. It has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It has everything to do with the grace of God coming to you as a gift. And if you could see 
what Jesus did for you, if you can understand all over again that, that what God emptied the riches of heaven when he gave his one and only precious son for you, if it could come to you as, as a gift and get deep down in, in your heart, God, I'm undeserving. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not by anything I've done. It's, it's because of your grace that I get to have a relationship with you. It would change us. Change us from the inside out. Change our hearts. It would change the way we relate to God. It would change the way we relate to people. And so that's, that's our prayer today. God, give us a fresh perspective of your grace. God, open our eyes. God, open our blinded eyes. Open our hardened hearts to receive your gift of grace, to receive grace as a gift today. God, I haven't accumulated credit with you. My serving in the church, my giving in the church, my faithfulness. Lord, it's the least I could do to give my life back to you because you included me as one of the latecomers. Come on, why don't you stand with me? Let's pray into this. That's what we're going to ask God to do. God, give us a fresh revelation of your grace. God, give us a fresh revelation of your grace today. God, don't let it be stale. Don't let it be boring. Don't let it be something we've heard before. God, we never graduate from the gospel. God, we need your grace all over again. Lord, open our hearts today. Why don't you pray with me? God, give me a fresh revelation of your grace today. Somebody needs to pray that. God, we thank you that your grace doesn't add up. God, we thank you that you don't do things according to the ways of this world, but your grace is otherworldly. And it comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and it changes us. God, I thank you. There's nothing that we can do to make you love us anymore. And there's nothing that we could do to make you love us any less. Lord, you receive us by your grace, and you love us too much to leave us where we are. You met us in our sins. You gave us your son to change our hearts so that we could be your people, your sons and your daughters. We could walk with you and have a relationship with you. And so God, give us that fresh perspective today. Father, I pray for the person who even as they, as they hear these words, they would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. I want to know, I want to have a relationship with him. I want to, I want to know him in that way as a, as a father and to feel his love. But I feel so far away from him. I feel a million miles away from him. I used to feel close to him. I don't even know where to start to, to, to where to even pick things back up. If that's you today, if there's something tugging on your heart to know God that way, we believe God is drawing you to himself by his spirit through his son, Jesus Christ. And it starts with receiving the gift of grace, the gift of his son. And so if that's you today, would you just pray with me, Jesus, I receive you today. Come on, pray that with me in online, in person. Jesus, I receive you today. I receive your grace today. Pray with me. I turn from my sins and I place my faith in you. I believe you are who you said you are, son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe that you lived for me. I believe that you resurrected for me so that I could have new life and I place my faith in you. I trust in you today. It's not my works, but it's your grace and I receive it into my life today. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today. God, I thank you for the scripture that says your, your spirit whispers to our spirit, testifies to our spirit, and we're born again, sons, daughters, we're your children, never the same. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Give God some praise in this place. 
Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.